going on? Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. Let's see what my stretch is up to. It's pretty. Very rainy, cold. Morning. Let's see. Underwater alien life. Are we alone? I just said, uh, new Biden hits Trump hard using Haley's attacks on Trump's cognitive confusion and damning supercut. Voter ID to buy a loaf of bread. Yeah, I'm going to use that. No holding back. Dems finally nail message to expose GOP at the perfect time, 44 minutes ago. Zapier's easy automation can send every marketing lead directly into your sales team's pipeline. Let me tell you why nobody wants to talk to y'all behind closed doors, because y'all lie. That's just the bottom line. You have done it thus far in this investigation. You have done it this far as it relates to this committee. And every single hearing, y'all spin, spin, spin. I don't know how y'all are still standing right now because you should be quite dizzy from all the spinning that you're constantly doing when it comes to spinning the truth. You talk about free and fair elections, but you back a guy who we know tried to steal the election. And this isn't about what Democrats have to say. Let me remind you, for those of you that don't know, how the justice system works. It's not a matter of the president went in and indicted Trump, but we are talking about grand juries. Grand juries are comprised of American citizens and the people that have entered pleas of guilty that will be flipping on your leader in a minute, they are Republicans. I do want to point that out. And half of them were Republicans that were handpicked by Donald Trump himself. So to be clear, whatever happens to your little leader, it's going to be because of the actions that he took. So you can talk all you want to about how January 6th was nonsense, but all of y'all were running at that time. Y'all were grabbing y'all gas masks and y'all were running to your offices because you didn't know if they were coming to kill you. You should have cared that somebody was there to protect you, but instead you want to play games because you found out that it was your leader that decided that he wanted to propagate an insurrection on our country. So don't tell me that you care about the Constitution, because you don't. All you care about is Trump getting reelected, and I'll yield the last of my time to my leader. Finally, Democrats with good messaging, they appear to be here. That was Democratic Congresswoman Jasmine Crockett, and we are joined by Anat Schenker, Osario from the Words to Win By podcast. Everybody check out that podcast. An expert messenger who we've had here on the Midas Touch podcast before. With all of this great democratic messaging, I wanted to run it by you and not to see what you think about this. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me back and happy new year. And I'm a big fan of the words to win by podcast. Just want to reflect that because you get into the granular details on messaging, why certain messages falter, why certain messages deliver. And I think the frustration that progressives, pro-democracy followers have all found is like the facts are there, but the messaging is just not there in an offensive way. And so it's all of these Republicans, MAGA Republicans spewing a bunch of nonsense. But let's just start with the clip that I just showed you right there. Like, what would you make of that? Um, brilliant, beautiful, wonderful. I think that 
you can see in the response to that extraordinary impassioned speech just how hungry, as you rightly stated, voters are, Democrats are, disaffected Dems in particular are, to see some real leadership. And, you know, it's facile, but it's true. If you want people to come to your cause, you need to be attractive. And just as a magnet draws people in, a magnet has a polarity, which means that it also repels. Specific things that I think it's really worth lifting up that Representative Crockett did in there, the phrase little leader, which many people remarked upon. When we were doing our research with experts on the demise, the end of authoritarian rule, everyone from you know people who had worked on uh, Slobodan Milosevic and sort of ending his rule in Serbia, experts from around the globe, the number one thing that they said to us over and over is that with an authoritarian, it's absolutely essential to not beat the narrative that he, and yeah, I'm saying he, because all bets pretty much point in that direction, is a strong man, is daddy, because that is part of the appeal and attachment. And so mockery, and it is a difficult needle to thread between making clear the ever-present threats and not making it seem that that person is in untouchable. So speaking, for example, with respect to Trump about he, how he's a loser, he loses a lot, he lost recently, he keeps losing court cases, he keeps losing elections. Because one of the proclivities that Dems have going against them is our tendency to speak about ourselves as the losing team, which by the way, most people don't want to be on. The other thing that's in that clip that's really important to highlight, and I would even draw a finer point on it, is that she speaks in the terms of lived experience. She makes it tangible. So we have seen in testing that talking about January 6th as, quote, an attack on our democracy is less effective than talking about January 6th as an attack on our country or an attack on America. Because sadly, democracy never bought me dinner. Democracy is simply too abstract a concept to really get that ire. So here she is speaking about, you were the ones running. You were the ones fearing for your life. The more we can remind folks about how visceral it was, just simply by making that wording substitution, attack on our country, attack on America, attack on what we believe in, an attempt to seize freedoms and rule over us, that is what reminds folks really what happened and therefore what is at stake in the future. You know, we've been seeing this going on the offense mockery of Donald Trump by former Republican Congress members like Adam Kinzinger and this trend of, you know, Donald Trump stinks and, and Donald Trump smells horrifically. You know, there, there were some people who were saying, you know, we're above that and, and, and don't go there to the point that you made. And I said, you know what, Donald Trump likes being called a dictator. He likes being called. The more you call him that, he brags about that. What you have to do, especially, I thought, for the MAGA Republican crowd as well, is show that the wannabe emperor has no clothes. So let me show you this moment here. This is Adam Kinzinger, a military guy, someone who actually has devoted his life to service. And here's what he said when I interviewed him on the Midas Touch podcast. Here, play this clip. I'm genuinely surprised how people close to Trump 
haven't talked about the odor. It's truly something <laughs> to behold. Wear a mask if you can. And Donald Trump responded to that, and he had his team go after you and say, no, Kinzinger is the one who's smelly. And as Hillary Clinton said, if you could be baited by a tweet, how are you supposed to be expected to handle Vladimir Putin and, and, and other authoritarians? And Donald Trump clearly got baited by your tweet and your post. But let's just start with your post, the odor, the stench, the stink. How bad is it? What do you know about that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not good. I mean, think about uh, the best way to describe it. I, I've tried to like Ask. So take like armpits, ketchup, uh, like a butt, and kind of put it in a blender <laughs> and makeup, and put that all in a blender, and that's and, and you bottle that as a cologne. That's kind of that. Um, but it's amazing. Like I, I've been amazed that you know everybody's just kind of like learning about this now. But again, I think the bigger point is he's a weak human being. But look at this. He had he had his people respond to me on this. By the way, they're always unnamed spokesmen because none of them want to put their names, even though I think I know who's doing this. Like they don't want to put their names behind that because they know that their words are going to live forever. And uh, like, my goodness, I mean, Vladimir Putin, I'm going to tell you, she, President Xi of China, they're licking their chops at the idea of another Donald Trump term. Because I sat in the Oval Office once when Donald Trump begged a group of us to pull China's ZTE out of the sanctions list from the National Defense Authorization Act because he made a personal uh, promise to President Xi because she asked him nicely on the phone. I mean, this is the kind of leader you know, of the greatest country in the world that we're looking at reinstating. And uh, the odor is the odor. And, you know, I think that needs to stay alive. People need to keep talking about it because he's the kind of guy that would use something like that all the time against other people. He needs to taste his own medicine. So yeah, this also it's a sign of mental illness. Of it, less of it. Been Why? going on for decades. So what's interesting about it <laughs> 40 years really he's been wearing a fucking diaper. It works. He's been wearing a fucking diaper for 40, 50 years. People people have uh, lots of stories about that. How he had to be asked to leave a restaurant. It was so bad. And, um, for example. And, yeah. Uh, mockery works. Sad to say it, but humiliation. Dogs, dogs and people respond well to humiliation. So that's that's what we got to do. I'm not really gonna put you know humiliation. It'll get flagged if I put that in words, but I'll say it on my podcast. Humiliation, yeah, he d totally uh, deserves it, needs it, needs to be put in his place after all these years of uh, impunity. To the diaper don phenomenon, comma, because exclamation point.
Exclamation point. I'd argue that is clearly a sign of mental illness. Happy to be on I am, I was, uh, MT, I thank MTN for helping, um, this is exactly what, uh, to establish this diaper dawn phenomenon. Diaper Don. Coupled with the corporate medium, not Hitler. <clears throat> have worked too well. Disgust, obviously. covers up everything. With his, uh, my boss. Okay. All right. So said, I thank MTN for helping to establish this diaper Don phenomenon because mockery is exactly what he needs and deserves. His Stalin and Hitler brainwashing tactics have worked too well. And the truth about how disgusting a POS he is needs to be discussed. Obviously, he covers up everything like a mob boss, as Michael Cohen describes him. He's been wearing a soiled diaper for 40, 50 years now. I'd argue that is clearly a sign of mental illness, arrested development. By the way, I am, was, Oxford University psychology tutor. Happy to be on your show. Okay.
his Stalin and Hitlerian Jim Jones his so there we go as a so I said I thank MTN Midas Touch Network for helping to establish this diaper don phenomenon because mockery is exactly what he needs and deserves his Stalin and Hitler Jim Jones etc brainwashing tactics have worked too well and the truth about how disgusting a POS he is Needs to be discussed, obviously. He covers up everything like a mob boss, as Michael Cohen describes him. He's been wearing a soiled diaper for 40, 50 years now. I'd argue that is clearly a sign of mental illness, arrested development, by the way. I am, was, Oxford University psychology tutor. Happy to be on your show. Sometime. Which basically signals to the listener that this person is worthy of mockery, right? Otherwise... He is unworthy of respect. He's unworthy of deference. He's unworthy of sort of being treated as a noble figure. So the act of mocking him already reduces his stature, regardless of what the nature. He, what he, what he, You know, whether it's about his smell, whether it's about his verbal pattern, whatever it is, it's basically saying, I'm not afraid of this person. This person holds no power over me. And that's an extraordinarily important thing to do, because the one thing that the dictator cannot be forgiven for is losing. He can be forgiven for being an unrepentant fucking asshole as we've seen he can be forgiven for being a misogynist for mocking the disabled for destroying our response to COVID, and on and on and on but the thing that his diehard supporters will never forgive him for is losing is being a loser and while our primary purpose is never actually to flip those people those people live in the cue hole you couldn't access them if you tried it's the hangers on that are trying to figure out where they stand. And so it exists at that level, but it also exists at a deeper level. It exists at the level of metaphor. And a lot of my area of study is metaphor. I won't go too deeply into it. God forbid your listeners not want to nerd out this much, but the notion of uncleanliness and being smelly, being stinky, actually activates within people a deeper revulsion that gets at the notion that he is not moral. That So when you think about a stain on our society, right? When we speak about something uh, being shark a stain, stain. When we think about something being repugnant or repulsive, is, uh, we are speaking not shark only stain personified. that it smells like garbage, but that it is actually kind of a putrefaction of the soul, if you will. And so it's really getting at both of those things. Diaper done is human shark stain. This next clip. This <laughs> is Congress member Jared Moskowitz at the committee hearing where he brings up the connection between Donald Trump and Jeffrey Epstein. And that's also one of the things that we've been talking a lot here on the Midas Touch Network. And occasionally, you know, I'll get the comments like, 
can you focus more on the policy thing? Can you focus more on these things? And, and I also say, I go, look what Donald Trump, though, said about Epstein in 2002, that Epstein's a terrific guy who likes girls on the younger side. I play the audio here for our viewers and listeners of Donald Trump bragging how he would walk into the dressing room of teenage girls in beauty pageants so he can look at them naked but tell them that he's inspecting them. I've showed uh, uh, newspaper clippings that we've uncovered from like 1997 of like British newspapers about how Madame Ghislaine Maxwell would introduce the women to Donald Trump and he would then put the women in his apartment. In, in New York. And like this stuff was never, I thought, ever messaged the right way. Midas Touch was not or even was not around. What happened to these women, by the way? It. What did they do with them? Women's March, did they disappear? These women that they, uh, <clears throat> In 2020, the existential issues were COVID, what we were going to do, and Donald Trump saying inject yourself with bleach and all of the chaos now. But now I think, and I want to show you what Moskowitz does, like, should we be messaging this? Should we not be messaging this? Let me show you what Congressmember Moskowitz had to say, and then I'll get your reaction. The refrigeration school. If you want to change your life, change your career, change your path, and so, again, because the, the gentle lady from from <laughs> the gentle lady from Georgia, it's uh, ridiculous to say gentle lady. <laughs> she ain't no gentle lady. Uh, I know it's such an advocate for <laughs> women's rights, as she mentioned, uh, and is so concerned uh, uh, about grooming. And apparently, we, we don't have any standards here anymore. Again, I, I just want to remind remind my colleagues because <laughs> you know. I don't want them to forget about hypocrisy, okay? I, I don't want them to forget about hypocrisy. But, you know, Donald Trump was asked about Jeffrey Epstein. And when he was asked, he said, you know, Jeffrey likes him young. But how did the president know that? How did he know that Jeffrey Epstein likes him young? Perhaps some people are saying he was there since you're so concerned, right? But again, again, I, I bring this up not... Not to make jest. I bring it Point up. Of order, Mr. Chairman. I bring it up. Uh, yeah. I thought we weren't going to interrupt. Uh, uh, we're going to stop the clock. We did this with Mr. Okay. Ring. State your point. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm just curious about the impugning of the former president's character. That we. we uh, I don't have to do that. He does that himself. Have we? Have we? Uh, basically, thrown that rule out. I'm just curious. Uh, or are we going to follow that? Would you accept a pornographic photo? Of Bill Clinton? Yeah. We suspended the rule to the current president, but we didn't suspend it to the, former, to the former president. Oh, by the way, please, so you're making
making the point that we can uh, disparage uh, Joe Biden, but not Donald Trump. Please make that point to the American people. Please. Your thoughts are not on this line of messaging. Yeah. So I want to say a few things about this. The first thing is that if there is an imperative with respect to what works and doesn't on the attack side, and of course, there's a whole other conversation to be had about say what you're for, say what you're for, and the other side, but we're talking today about the nature of attack, so I'm confining myself to that. We have to say fewer things and say them more often. One of the biggest things that we saw during the Trump years and the lead up to him is that because he would say and do so many egregious things an hour or even a minute, we became like cats with a laser pointer. And it would often be, can you believe he just said? Can you believe he just did? Can you believe he just tweeted? And the impact of that we would see in our qualitative and quantitative research is that people couldn't remember because it was so many different things and we weren't repeating the charge and so the charge wasn't sticking. It also had the impact of feeling to them like, oh, well, whatever. That's guys getting away with everything. Team Blue says shit about Team Red, vice versa, and that's just politics. It didn't sort of do what we needed, which was rise to this level of, this is not normal. We are so many standard deviations away from impropriety that we have left the building, right? We have left the scale. So we do need to say fewer things, and it's hard because it is such a target-rich environment, and keep repeating them. If it is about him being smelly and disgusting and distasteful, fine, it's that. If it is about him you know, going after young girls, fine, it's Jeffrey that. Epstein. But it has to be fewer things because repetition is really, really important. The other thing that I would raise is that it's actually pretty vital to not make the hypocrisy argument. And I know we love to, so I'm sorry to be, you know, lady no fun. Hypocrisy is a process argument and process arguments are never as effective as outcomes. If people were expecting consistency and truth, they wouldn't be attracted to Republicans. So you are not turning them away by making that charge. Instead of focusing on, well, they say A and then they do B, or they say A about Joe Biden, but they say B about Donald Trump, people don't actually care about that. What they care about is how is that going to impact me, right? So it's the difference between saying, well, they're hypocrites. They will go after person X, but not after person Y. It's saying, well, they're here to rule over and not represent us. Well, they're here to uphold their little leader who will go after anyone, including little girls, so that they can simply seize and hold power. And that brings me to my last point, which is the historical task before us when it comes to this lane of how to really characterize the villain is to remember that the villain isn't just Donald Trump. It is MAGA Republicans and it is Trumpism. And now that Trump is back on the scene as a central figure, of course, it's very, very easy to make him not just the protagonist, but the lone actor. And it is our job as people who I would like to try having a democracy, maybe that would be a fun thing to do, or at least maintaining a republic, that we need to always bring it back to how MAGA Republicans 
aided and abetted, how they paid, planned, and pardoned the January 6th attack, how they're the ones voting against everything our families need, how they're going along with Trump so that they can screw you over. We always have to pin it on the entire cabal. Left people think, and we do see this in the data, yeah, 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 he's bad, but the rest of them cut my taxes. We can't fall into that trap. Finally, I want to show you this clip. This is of President Biden. Um, I'll show you the clip, but but I am also interested, not just your view of Biden's clip right here, but, you know, where President Biden is right now, just, you know, positionally and, and let's just face it, age-wise, it is a different Biden than the Biden 20 or 30 years ago. That's just the reality. I was with President Biden. I interviewed President Biden. He was as sharp as can be. And for me, presenting oneself as an elder statesman who's calm and rational, I view as a positive. But I'm wondering how you think also, not just on the attack, because I'm going to show you the attack, but I'm also wondering just in the presentation as in general, how you guard against MAGA Republicans clipping every little thing that you do and showing that four-second stutter or a four-second, you know, where you have to think sharper than anyone I know at, at that age <clears throat> period, but there are things associated with that. And so first let me show you the clip, and then I'd love to get your kind of overall take as kind of the last thing in this interview. So, so let me show you this clip that played. So everyone... But the legal path just took Trump back to the truth. That I won the election and he was a loser. Well, you know, clearly I think taking the messaging of he's a loser, but what MAGA will do is there's like a moment where they'll clip the one second where he's kind of looking up and then they'll take that and then they'll play it over and over and over again. So it looks like he's doing Posting like, like that Facebook. and then that will be their story. So Good, okay. Oh, shit. Where'd it go? Oh, man. Slave trade prints epic battle against the music industry. Oh, documentary, deleted scene, Chargers Blacks. When Jack gets captured by his enemy Beckett, the governor recalls their long history. Because in the past, Jack was a law-abiding sailor working under Beckett. But then, when Jack discovered that the cargo he'd been hired to transfer was a ship full of slaves, he was horrified. So he abandoned his duty and he set them free. And so Beckett, furious, removed Jack's position, burned his ship to the ground, and for the sin of having stolen his property, seared the symbol pirate onto his skin. So now, years later, Beckett brings all this up again. And here the older and more mature Jack just stops. He halts his goofy demeanor, his irreverent spirit, and in a rare moment of soberness, replies, People on cargo, mate. And so when Beckett tries to guilt Jack for ruining Beckett's ambitions and permanently making himself an outcast, Jack turns back, smiles in disgust, and thanks him. Because if the world of good men can sleep guiltless after subjugating innocent people, if being a law-abiding citizen meant that he would have had to make another call that day, then he will proudly spend the rest of his life branded with the stamp of pirate.
Jack gets captured by his enemy Beckett, the governor recalls their long history. Because in the past, Jack was a law-abiding sailor working under Beckett. But then, when Jack discovered that the cargo he'd been hired to transfer was a ship full of slaves, he was horrified. So he abandoned his duty and he set them free. And so Beckett, furious, removed Jack's position, burned his ship to the ground, and for the sin of having stolen his property, seared the simple pirate onto his skin. So now, years later, Beckett brings all this up again. And here, the older and more mature Jack just stops. He halts his goofy demeanor, his irreverent spirit, and in a rare moment of soberness, replies, People aren't cargo, mate. And so when Beckett tries to guilt Jack for ruining Beckett's ambitions and permanently making himself an outcast, Jack turns back, smiles in disgust, and thanks him. Because if the world of good men can sleep guiltless after subjugating innocent people, if being a law-abiding citizen meant that he would have had to make another call that day, then he will proudly spend the rest of his life branded with the stamp of pirate. Jack gets captured. I felt like, mm -hmm. like something in her was watching me. So right then, their son comes upstairs. Kid does something, red flag number two. Kid takes a key out and he unlocks his bedroom door and a deadbolt. I'm going, who does that? So they say, check this out. He shows that tattoo now. And it's this angelic Christian thing. It's like a protector, a heavenly protector type thing, some religious thing. I and mean, he sees I'm watching this and I'm telling the officer, let's go, let's go, let's get her going. So the whole time she's engaged in me and the kid says something. I'll never forget this. This is real. He goes, this is nothing. I'm like, what do you mean this is nothing? He goes, you should hear it at night. I go, what? I go, this is your mother. You, you refer to her as it? That's not my mom, bro. I don't know what that is. He goes, and that's why I locked my door. I went, fuck this, man. <laughs> felt like, like something in her was watching me. So right then, their son comes upstairs. Kid does something, red flag number two. Kid takes a key out and he unlocks his bedroom door and a deadbolt. Every 10,000 years, humanity's predator emerges from its slumber, swiftly wiping out entire populations. In ancient civilizations, it was believed that the gods sent these creatures to cleanse the lands of sin and evil. However, in recent times, there is a prevailing belief that these beings were genetically engineered shortly after our creation, designed to bring balance to the world. The ancients referred to them as the Nosferatu, a term derived from the Latin word for vampire. These entities differ from the classic vampire archetype. They were supposedly created as a form of biological weapon. Originally, 12 of these creatures were brought into existence, each requiring a specific enzyme found in human blood for sustenance. <clears throat> Despite appearing human, they surpassed average human stature, exhibiting extraordinary speed, strength, almost instantaneous cell regeneration, and an intelligence at least 10 times greater than that of humans. Upon feeding on a victim, every 10,000 yeah. years, humanity's predator emerges from its slumber, it's swiftly wiping perception. out entire populations. In ancient So what they really want is the like, and then he was sleeping with the nanny, and then she caught him. So, you know, the, the truth is, people want to hear about those flame outs. And by the way, those are super interesting as a lawyer. Everybody's <laughs> fucking the nanny. Everybody, yeah, there's a nanny fascination out there. I try to explain it in the book, but yeah, I mean, I've had some great nanny stories. People run off with the nanny, people end up getting married to the nanny. <laughs> I had one where the, the he convinced her that they should have a threesome with the nanny. They got the nanny drunk. They had a bunch of threesomes with the nanny. And then the nanny and the wife paired up and left him. <laughs> and they're still quite happy. <laughs> For everyone but him. But it was his idea. Well, he's really going to have a nanny.
destination now. Now he's, yeah, well, now he's got to see the nanny, who's now the, like, step-parent to the kids. And it was his bright idea of let's have a with the nanny. What he really wanted, to like, and he this shows the Amazon. Um, 6.7 million square kilometers. There's still five and a half million left covered by rainforest. That's bigger than the entire subcontinent of India. And hardly any archaeology has been done. The archaeology that is being done is fascinating. Southwest of Brazil, that we're seeing uh, these extraordinary geoglyphs. Now, and what's the conventional explanation for these things? There is no conventional explanation because really it's, it's only begun to be studied. So much of this, uh, of, of this stuff to Kino absolutely giant, giant geoglyph. And these things really, on the old view of the Amazon, shouldn't exist. I talked to an Apurina elder. He said, we don't know exactly why these places were made. They were made so long ago, but we respect them, we revere them, and we think that they were used by shamans in the distant past. So they were aware of them before they studied. So much of this, uh, of, of this stuff to Kino, absolutely giant, giant geoglyph and these things really on the old view of the amazon shouldn't exist i talked to an apurina elder he said we don't know exactly why these places were made they were made so long ago but we respect them we revere them and we think that they were used by shamans in the distant past so they were aware of them before the clearing yeah they were aware of them before the clearing shows the amazon uh, the uss missoula correct yeah landed on D-Day, the third wave onto the beach. February 19th, 8 o'clock in the morning. Beach. I had two men, one on my left and one on my right. We were pretty well much alone. We didn't wait for anybody else. We just kept doing our job, bellowing, firing what we thought they might be in. A lot of them were on fire and come running out. Bang, bang, we drop them. They would kill them right there. If they would come up with their hands up, and we would call for support, and they'd send a bunch of people up there and grab them. They got my squad leader, they tortured him. They found his body, so I took over the squad. I had about three or four good buddies there that were killed. We lost our officers, none of them came out of there. Well, I had a flamethrower on. The time I reached the top, I lost my two buddies. They weren't with me anymore. First night of that battle, I was alone. A hole, too. It was a mess. It was a bad place to be. Problem is, they came out at night and fought. USS Missoula, correct? Yes. Landed on D-Day, the third Don't wave onto the beach. February 19th. If we know the answer to all of this is you're going to die, <clears throat> then what do we do with the rest of that time? I was a hospice volunteer for many, many years when I first got out of college. And it really showed me a lot about what is sadness, what is tragic, and what is just inevitable decay. What is pain and decay? Like, we all die. Like, we play a game you can't win to the utmost. And if all your stuff is just stuff, it's just gonna go to the, you know, the money's gonna go, like everything's, your looks is gonna go, your everything's gonna go, love's gonna end one way or the other, then what are we doing, you know? And I, again, I think it's love and connection, but what I'm doing for a living is helping, and I don't look at it as what I'm doing is helping people beat the crap out of each other. I look at it as I'm, I'm trying to help a client build their post-divorce life, to, to sort of rise from the ashes of that which has fallen apart and move on to the next chapter and refocus and have the things they need financially, emotionally, whatever it might be, interpersonally, in terms of their kids. We know the answer to all of this James is you're going Sexton to die. And then what do we do with the rest of that time? I was a hospice volunteer for many, many years when I first got out of college. And it really showed me a lot about what is sadness, what is tragic, and what is just 
inevitable decay. What is pain and they get in ghillie suits and low crawl to his fucking cabin. His son and his dog are out on the property because it's his fucking property. And they discover these guys in ghillie suits. The son raises his rifle, shoots and kills one of the FBI guys, and the FBI guys kill his son. So what would you do if you own property in rural anywhere in America, you hear gunshots and your fucking son's dead, and you don't know what's going on, and it's a bunch of dudes in ghillie suits. So he winds up locking himself and barricading himself in the cabin, and then they deploy the FBI hostage rescue team. I actually interviewed one of the guys as a sniper for FBI HRT when this went down. Long story short, they kill his wife. While she was holding a baby. While she was holding a baby. They thought he was charging them, but he was fake charging. Like he was like, he was making like a gesture like he was charging. They got panicky and they started breaking shots off at him. He gets back inside. So they dump the next person they saw, which happened to be the wife. Getting ghillie suits and low crawl to his fucking Jesus. cabin. His Have you heard of the lost ancient city of gold, El Dorado? In the mysterious depths of the Amazon rainforest, a tale unfurls from the pages of history, echoing the quest for El Dorado. The year is 1541, and Gonzalo Pizarro, driven by the allure of the legendary city of gold, leads an expedition into the heart of South America. Pizarro, the half-brother of the renowned conqueror Francisco Pizarro, sets forth with his cousin Francisco de Oriana and a diverse band of 340 Spaniards and 4,000 indigenous people. Their journey, fraught with peril, takes them deeper into uncharted territories, where whispers of El Dorado lead them to the treacherous Amazon rainforest. Months pass, and the expedition teeters on the brink of disaster, disease, hunger, and hostile encounters with native tribes decimate their ranks. Amidst the struggle for survival, Pizarro and Oriana make a fateful decision to build a boat and navigate the unforgiving river. Oriana, with 50 men, embarks on a perilous downstream journey. Suddenly, one of the men pointed towards the water, yelling, Sukuriju! Sukuriju! Stay tuned for part two. Heard of the lost ancient city of gold, El Dorado? In the mysterious... Why do you feel that people are so threatened by information? The only people that threaten me and have threatened to actually kill me these are all zealots, people who believe in religion, dogma, flat earthers who give me death threats. Those are the people, most dangerous people on the planet. And the evidence of this is, look at all the wars that have happened on this planet. The people who are into the dogma, into hardcore belief systems, they will kill you over a political belief, religious belief, or any other type of dogmatic belief system that they've ingrained into themselves. The reason why people get so angry and offended and pissed off, afraid when you bring up types of topics that we're talking about today is because, like I say all the time, when they were born, they were given a name, a race, and a religion. Now they've been defending a false identity since they've been born. Now, all of a sudden, here I come. I show up on the scene and I'm ripping that false identity away from them. It hurts them because every single cell in their body is vibrating and resonating to that programming code that they've been given since birth. And now it feels alone. It feels naked. If you take a baby, right, comes out of the womb and you put it right on the mother's chest, the baby is calm, right? The second that the nurse comes and takes that baby away from the mother, it's kicking and screaming. It wants body contact. It wants the mother's heat. It wants warmth. It wants the smell of the mother. Same thing when you snatch somebody's belief system. Why do you feel that people are so threatened by information? Jesus was Yeshua. Uh, this was a real person that existed. Some people are like, oh, he was just an imaginary person. No, no, no. There's a lot of evidence that he actually existed. He lived, he breathed, he had blood in his veins. He came through a womb. The fact that he was a virgin birth, I found through the Apocrypha text that his grandmother was also a virgin birth, where through the grandmother comes his mother, then through his mother comes him, both through in vitro fertilization. 
This is advanced technology, genetics that were added into this zygote. It must have been some of this DNA from the Anunnaki. So even though we all have Anunnaki DNA, and some people have a little bit more, and maybe it could have even been that he would regain his memories, maybe a past life. As he got older, it became the age of 12. Yeshua disappears from the Bible. Where does he go? There's a text called the Gospel of the Holy 12. Of course, was left out of the canonized Bible. Talks about where he went. He went to go live in Egypt. And I find the place that he lived in Coptic Cairo. He still go there till this very day. He then left from there and went up into Tibet to learn Qigong and Reiki healing and healing with the hands and energy, moving energy around the body. And that was confirmed by the Dalai Lama. Then he left from there and went to India to learn the mystic arts, teaching reincarnation all the way back into Egypt. And when he got back to Egypt, Jesus was Yeshua. Uh, this was a real person that existed. Some people are like, oh, he was just an imaginary person. No, no, no. There's a lot of evidence that he actually existed. He lived, he breathed, he had blood in his veins. He came through a womb. The fact that he was a virgin birth, I found through the Apocrypha text Should that do his a podcast was also on, uh... a virgin birth. Where through the grandmother comes his mother, then through his mother comes him, both through in vitro fertilization. This is a God singular, when in true reality, when you go to the back into the ancient text, it's really God's with an S. It took off the S to make it the monotheistic mindset. When you read the Enuma Elish and the Atrahasis epic, you realize that they copied all that ancient text and put it into to the Old Testament of the modern day Bible. Cuneiform stone tablets, these tablets are amazing because this is as close as we're going to get to the truth. And they're talking about beings living and other planets coming to this planet. Planet, engaging mankind, teaching mankind about weapons, war, genetically modifying humans to, for the purpose of turning us into slaves to do a lot of the labor for them, and uh, living on Mars. And How many years ago were these tablets created, apparently? The most recent version is back around 6,000 to 7,000 years ago, which is why the Bible, people who believe in the Bible believe the Earth is only 6,000 years old, because the, co the story is copied from 6,000-year-old tablets. According to the Book of Enoch, these beings came from heaven to Earth, and then they even named, they have names. They taught them how to make weapons. They took Enoch on a trip to the Earth's atmosphere and beyond, and he saw the Earth and the shape of the planet as a sphere, and then brought him back. God singular, when in true reality, when you go to the back into the ancient text, it's really odds with an S. They took off the S to Nephilim. make a monotheistic mindset. When you read the Enuma Elish and the Atrahasis epic, you realize they like copied this. all that ancient text and put it into to the Old Testament of the modern-day Bible. Cuneiform stone tablets, these tablets are amazing because this is as close as we're going to get to the truth. And they're talking about beings living and other planets coming to this planet, engaging mankind, teaching mankind about weapons, war, genetically modifying humans to, for the purpose of turning us into slaves to do a lot of the labor for them and uh, living on Mars. And How many years ago were these tablets created, apparently? The most recent version is back around 6,000 to 7,000 years ago, which is why the Bible, people who believe in the Bible, believe the Earth is only 6,000 years old, because the, co the story is copied from 6,000-year-old tablets. According to the Book of Enoch, these beings came from heaven to Earth, and then they even named, they had names. They taught them how to make weapons. <laughs> they took Enoch on a trip to the Earth's atmosphere and beyond, and he saw the Earth and the shape of the planet as a sphere, and then brought him back. God singular, when these entities differ from the classic vampire archetype. They were supposedly created as a form of biological weapon. Originally, 12 of these creatures were brought into existence, each requiring a specific enzyme found in human blood for sustenance. Despite appearing human, they surpassed average human stature, exhibiting extraordinary speed, strength, almost instantaneous cell regeneration, and an intelligence at least 10 times greater than that of humans. Upon feeding on a victim, the individual becomes infected through a bite, and the saliva transforms them into a mindless shell of their former selves, devoid of consciousness and perpetually hungry. These infected beings go on to spread the contagion, causing destruction in their wake. When the food source is depleted, the infected eventually starve and die, leaving behind empty cities and lost civilizations. 
Subsequently, the Nosferatu retreat into the shadows, patiently waiting for their next resurrection. Hmm. These entities maneuvered to the rooftop's edge, still fending off the relentless tide of creatures. The SOG soldier couldn't help but wonder about the origins of this covert unit. The lack of insignias and the advanced technology hinted at an organization operating in the shadows with a purpose that extended beyond conventional military missions. With the extraction helicopter providing cover fire, the squad made a daring descent. The SOG soldier, now fully immersed in this incomprehensible world, joined them as they swiftly navigated the building's levels. Amid the chaos, the squad's leader revealed a startling piece of information to the Soji soldier. This outbreak is not a natural occurrence, he said cryptically. There are at play, and we're here to uncover the truth. The helicopter arrived, and while they all sat collecting themselves, the SOG soldier remembered a rumor from boot camp about a secret military unit based in the United States, specializing in paranormal oddities and even cryptids, things they used to laugh at. Trying to recall their name, the letter P came to mind, and under his breath, he whispered, phantoms. Maneuvered to the rooftop's edge, still fending off the relentless tide of creatures. The SOG soldier couldn't help but wonder about the origins of this covert unit. The lack of... The only time I start thinking about anything else is after your death. I will follow you. I will know you come here. I will know who your wife is. I'll know who your kids are. I'll know what school people are in. I'll know everything about you. And sooner or later, I will know where I'm going to kill you and what time I'm going to kill you. Sammy the Bull, welcome back. We interviewed this guy named Nicholas Irving. He was an army sniper. They called him the Grim Reaper. He has 33 confirmed kills. They asked if he would compare what you did to what he did. You're a foot soldier, you're a hitman, you're out there doing what you have to do. You're not killing innocent women and children. I assume not. You're going after your enemy. If that's your ideology and that's what you believe through and through, who am I to say that's right or wrong? He's a sniper, he's trained, fighting for his country, and he's a hit guy. He goes out, plans, does what he does. Boom, I was a soldier of Gozo my government was causing off for the mafia, not this government, the mafia. It's part of my heritage. I'm not a sniper, but I would have been the same exact thing as that. I do the same planning, the same thing. I'm focused. I'm focused on you. Every every fucking move, I don't think about nothing but you. The only time I start thinking about anything else is after you're done. I will follow you. I will know you come here. I will know who your wife is. I will know who your kids are. I will know what school people are in. I will know everything about you. And sooner or later, I will know where I'm going to kill you and what time I'm going to kill you. Sammy the Bull, welcome back. We interviewed Nick this guy Irvin. Nicholas Irving. He was an army turn of events. The SOG soldier nodded in understanding. The squad swiftly formulated a plan. They would use the building's layout to their advantage, creating choke points to thin out the approaching horde. The operatives moved with military precision, coordinating their actions seamlessly. The SOG soldier, now part of this enigmatic team, marveled at their efficiency. Advanced rifles blazed, and the once human creatures fell in droves. Yet, the relentless onslaught seemed unending. As the battle raged on, the squad's leader radioed for extraction. Another all-black helicopter, identical to the first, descended from the night sky. The team maneuvered to the rooftop's edge, still fending off the relentless tide of creatures. The SOG soldier couldn't help but wonder about the origins of this covert unit. The lack of insignias and the advanced technology hinted at an organization operating in the shadows with a purpose that extended beyond conventional military missions. With the extraction helicopter providing cover fire, the squad made a daring descent. The SOG soldier, now fully immersed in this incomprehensible world, joined them as they of events. In 2013, 
following the train attack and biological catastrophe in Kyoto, the SOG soldier, a member of Japan's special forces equivalent to Delta Force, found himself as the sole survivor after losing his teammates in an ambush where they were vastly outnumbered by hundreds of infected. To his surprise, he was rescued by a covert, all-black-clad unit equipped with advanced gear. Now, among this mysterious unit, they faced an overwhelming horde of nightmarish creatures. As they fought for survival, the squad's leader hinted at a deeper conspiracy behind the outbreak. The lone SOG survivor caught his breath on the rooftop, surrounded by the mysterious operatives, as the cacophony of approaching creatures below intensified. The chilling sounds of scraping, moaning, and the shuffling of undead feet echoed through the building's alleyways. The intriguing operative, the apparent leader of the black-clad squad, turned to the SOG soldier with a steely gaze. We've been tracking this outbreak for a while, he explained. Our mission is to contain it before it spreads beyond control. Still grappling with the surreal turn of a 2013. These cartels are going to finish one upping. They ate the heart. Where does it end? That'd be a good movie, I think. This that'd be a good movie. Set in Japan. With the Japanese. Uh... Years ago, I was reading the Sumerian tablets and I came across several accounts of Enlil talking about human beings and how they were bothersome and how they were making too much noise. He would know where people were on the earth, how many Bible. people were in a certain area. He would know population densities. He would know if the people were acting out, acting crazy, rioting. And depending on what people were doing in different areas of the planet, he would create a kill order, kill order. He would spray their crops to cull the population, he called it. And we're talking about chemtrails in ancient times already existed. So what you see in the sky, these chemtrails, nothing new. Years ago, I was reading the Sumerian tablets, and I came across several accounts of Enlil it's in the Bible talking too. about <coughs> in the Bible about how uh, uh, humans were too noisy. Forbidden knowledge. Oh, yo. Energy is energy. It's up to the holder of the energy whether you're going to use it for good or evil, just like the Jedi. You got the Empire and you got the Jedi's, you got them going head to head, but it's how do you use that energy? How do you take it out, chemically convert it for light or for darkness? When the Egyptian mystery schools first came out in ancient Kemet, it was adept initiates only, hand-picked people that were coming. Yeshua was one of those people, aka Jesus. He was in the mystery schools as early as the age of 12. And so these are hand-picked people. As the mystery schools got kind of diverted and diluted over time, and some of the big sages left or disappeared or passed away, those turned into secret societies. The knowledge then that was used for good, light, enlightenment, wisdom and understanding and philosophy all then turned dark. Energy is energy. It's up to the holder of the energy whether you're going to use it for good or evil, just like the Jedi. You got the Empire and you got the Jedi's, you got them going head to head. I'm either going to get some dentures or else get some Empire. He chose an entire city obliterated by the weight of a butterfly. The Enola Gay was already 16 kilometers away when it was rattled by shockwaves. It reportedly felt like being under heavy fire. The crew, most of whom didn't know exactly what they were dropping, was reportedly speechless. It's generally estimated that in less time than it took the Enola Gay to fly to Japan and back, some 70 to 80,000 people had died, 30% of Hiroshima's population.
The total number of deaths would increase over the next 20 to 30 days to between 90 and 140,000 people. For all the destruction it caused, the little boy bomb was terribly inefficient. Every joule of energy that devastated Hiroshima, a blast wave so intense it shattered windows 200 kilometers away, came from less than a gram of matter converted directly into energy. An entire city obliterated wow. by the weight of a butterfly. The Enola Gay was already 16 kilometers away when it was rattled by shock. At this point, I'm just hoping they, they kill me. From what I'd seen, that'd be the nicest thing they could do. Um, um, they open the great door. I basically lunge out. I'm like, fuck it, right? So I, I sprint out the cage, like all these people just screaming, help me, help us, please. Oh my God, it hurts. Help, help. And I'm like, if I don't save myself right now, I might never have a chance. And so I'm sprinting. I hear these like huge demonic tribe people just stomping, catching up behind me. There's this like winged, flying, almost dragon-like beast just brushing past me. I immediately just grab onto its foot and I just hold on for dear life. Like, let me see where this takes me. We're flying so high, I look down and it's like, must be four or 500 feet in the air. And we fly so high, we come out of almost like this crater thing in the earth. And finally I see some familiarity in the terrain. Like I see forest again, I see trees and I see a vine off one of these massive trees. I let go of this dragon. I'm falling in midair. I grab this vine and just swinging. Point, I'm just <laughs> hoping they they kill me. From what I'd seen, that'd be the. Sounds like uh, sounds like fantasy, fictional short written by me. <laughs> Who's this dealer? <laughs> I've heard several people describe LA this very same way. Exploring space. Compelling evidence. Still there. Oh wow, you are. How do you know? Compelling evidence to suggest another Sphinx existed on the other side Exploring of the African continent in Not only were there still existing remnants of this one spectacular structure, but there also remains the clearly recognizable and notoriously erosion-resistant accompanying pyramids. However, what some may find astonishing is that exactly 6,000 kilometers to the east, in a place known as Baluchistan, Pakistan, another sphinx can also be found, clearly of a similar antiquity. Hmm. Compelling evidence to suggest another sphinx existed Baluchistan, on the other side of the African continent in Zinder. Not only were there still existing remnants of this once spectacular structure, but there also remains the Ever clearly recognizable and notoriously erosion-resistant accompanying pyramids. However, what some may find astonishing is that exactly 6,000 kilometers to the east, in a place known as Baluchistan, Pakistan, another sphinx can also be found, clearly of a similar antiquity. Compelling evidence. I don't know what's wrong with him, but he will not get out of our truck. Okay. And he's got to go. Sir, it's a wrap. Looks like they want you out. No games. Get out. All right. No, there's a yellow handle right next to you. That is disgusting. He collapsed on the ground and is pouring out of his mouth. He said, please take me to the hospital. And they all said, no. 
No, there's a yellow handle right next to you. They literally don't care that you're dying in front of them. That's the system that's been created, that we are subjects. You'll hear cops say, well, the subject was going, do you mean Tom or Mary? Whatever their name is, we're paying for an organization to oppress us. Your tax dollars are spent on wars, bombs, cops, and cages. None of it is spent for you. I don't know what's yes. wrong with him, but he will not get out of our truck. Okay. And he's got to go. Sir, it's a wrap. Looks like they want you out. No games. Get out. Alright. No, there's a yellow handle right next to you. I don't know what's wrong with him, but he will not get out of our truck. Okay. And he's got to go.